0: Fifteen years on up, uh, a great deal of my thoughts were uh, basically unshareable. We are all evil in some form or another. Yes, I am evil. Not 100%, but I am evil. My mother was a, a sick, angry, hungry, and very sad woman. I hated her, but I wanted to love my mother. This is Serial Killing, a podcast. Hello, and welcome to Behind the Horror. Scary movie fans, such as myself, will hear that a movie is based on a true story. A few of them we know, but most, well, we never go on to find out just what that true story is. So, in this series... We will explore and find out exactly what the true story is behind the movies we love. The 1973 movie, The Exorcist, begins as the sun hovers close to the horizon, the sky in eerie orange glow. We are in the deserts of northern Iraq. We see an excavation site where men are working, digging through the sand and soil around beautiful and very old ancient architecture. And these men are working feverishly, hefting heavy pickaxes over their shoulders. We then see one younger boy running through the excavation site, obviously in a hurry to get to his destination. He tells a man that they have found something. The man gets up to go see what that something is. So this man looks at some artifacts that they have found and begins looking inside of a small hole that the workers had been working in. He then pulls out the head of Pazuzu. Now if you listened to the last podcast, you'll know about our boy Pazuzu. But here's a quick refresher. Pazuzu is thought of as a demon, a king of the demons of the wind, the bearer of storms and drought, and is often shown as a hybrid of human and animal. He has the body of a human male with human reproductive organs, but his head is a lion or a dog. He has the talons of an eagle, He has wings and a scorpion's tail. So this man who found the head and other artifacts is actually a Catholic priest by the name of Father Marin, who understands the history of Pazuzu. As he is in the desert, he looks up and he sees this large statue of Pazuzu standing before him, And it's as if the statue and he are staring each other down, coming face to face. We are then taken to Georgetown in Washington, D.C. There, actress Chris McNeil is living in a home close to the location where she's shooting a film about student activism. She has with her her 12-year-old beautiful daughter named Reagan. Reagan. Reagan finds and begins playing with a Ouija board and connects with someone called Captain Howdy. She tells her mom about Captain Howdy and of course she's blown off at first as her mother thinks that this is just an imaginary friend, you know, this is what children do. But then Reagan starts behaving strangely, quite unlike her normal self. Regan begins to use swear words, something she would never do. She's caught stealing. She starts making these very strange noises and displaying superhuman strength. Her mother, Chris, becomes concerned, but decides to host a party at her house because, sure. And Regan is supposed to be in bed sleeping during this party, but instead, she wanders downstairs she tells a man who is an astronaut that he will, quote, die up there. She then begins to urinate all over herself and on the floor. Later, we see that Reagan's bed begins to shake violently. So, like a good mother does, Chris took her daughter to the doctor, where they said there was absolutely nothing wrong with her daughter. Someone then recommended an exorcism and a priest comes to the house. What happens next? Those of you who have seen the movie know, you know, (laughs) and the rest will just have to watch to find out. Now this movie is intense, it is a bit disturbing, I'm not joking. Watch at your own risk. People when it came out in the 70's talked about people fainting in the movie theaters and throwing up everywhere. The book is even more disturbing, and I actually had to put the book down a few times in my younger years when I was reading it. So this movie was based on the case of a boy whose real identity has been protected under the name Roland Doe. I believe the family and those involved wanted the anonymity for a good reason, so we're just going to call him Roland, okay? and let's get into his story. Roland was born in 1935 to a very typical family for the times, though, like everyone else, they too were struggling through the Great Depression. His father had a decent job for the government, and being in Cottage City, Maryland, they were so close to Washington, D.C., The German Lutheran family were described as working class, plain, and just a normal family. Roland was their only child. Neighbors and friends growing up said that he was quiet, withdrawn, but studious. He was not part of the popular crowd, he wasn't particularly athletic, but he was a good kid. During the summer of 1948, when Roland was 12 years old, his father's sister, Aunt Harriet, who was a spiritualist, brought him a Ouija board and the two began to play around with it. Now, a spiritualist is a person who believes that the spirits of the dead exist and are able to communicate with the living. It was actually quite a large movement at its apex. So Roland and his aunt would get together and play with the Ouija board during that summer and it is said that Roland became completely fascinated with it. The fascination reportedly turned into a near obsession. Then, in January 1949, his beloved Aunt Harriet died from what was described as, quote, natural causes. This, of course, was devastating to Roland because she was his true friend, and he didn't really have many friends that were his peers. So, what did the now 13-year-old boy do? Well, he decided to use the Ouija board to contact his dead aunt. His parents, of course, thought it was harmless and figured he could work through his grief in this manner. He became rather despondent when he wasn't able to contact her through the board, but he continued to try. And if one were to believe in spirits or entities residing on, quote, the other side, well, his pleas for attention did not go unnoticed. But regardless of beliefs, Roland began to hear strange things, such as a scratching sound coming from within the walls and floors of his room. Then not only did they hear scratching, they also began to hear some kind of thumping and tapping coming from upstairs when literally no one was up there. The thumping and tapping then turned into a troubling banging. It was described as brutal blows that seemed to come from within the walls, nothing that could be traced back to any member of the family residing in that house. Then water began dripping down the walls and out of pipes with no leaks and no explanation. Roland's father hired a plumber who actually had to rip out part of the walls in search of a leak or even any rodent activity, but there was none. So with little else they could do, they just tried their best to ignore it. Then all of a sudden, they began to notice the chandelier swinging side to side slowly at first, then more obviously intentional. The thumping and tapping and banging turned into what sounded like someone stomping around. The parents thought that, you know, perhaps Aunt Harriet was trying to communicate from the beyond. Objects would begin to levitate or move without any intervention whenever Roland was around. Furniture began to move, allegedly just sliding across the floor pictures on the walls began to fall when no one was touching them. Then drinking glasses flew across the room and shattered against walls. Roland's personality and behavior also began to change. You know he was always quiet and a bit withdrawn but now he was beginning to truly withdraw. He physically lashed out at his parents, and his mother stated she saw his bed levitating off of the floor, shaking violently. Religious iconography, you know, crucifixes and things began to fall off the walls. They could sort of feel this vibration of the banging on the floorboards underneath their feet. Roland began screaming and using profanity, saying absolutely obscene things that he would otherwise not even have any knowledge of. So the parents took Roland to doctors who could find nothing wrong with him. They took him to psychiatrists who also said that there didn't really seem to be anything wrong with him. Now guys, you must understand that. In these times, the popular treatments for people believed to be this mentally ill were electric shock, insulin injections, and even frontal lobe lobotomies. These were actually quite common. However, I didn't find any evidence that these were performed on Roland. So, at a loss, I'm sure, the family finally contacted their local minister, Luther Schultz, for help. Now, Luther was quite interested in parapsychology, which is the study of mental phenomena which are excluded from or inexplicable by orthodox scientific psychology. Some examples would be telepathy or hypnosis, telekinesis, and so on. So our boy Luther suggested Roland stay the night in his home with him so that he could observe the boy and what might happen in his presence. He stated that, that night, he did see objects moving by themselves and other odd things when the boy was in his home, such as the bed that the boy slept in shaking and rattling. He advised the parents to seek out the help of a Catholic priest. So, at this point, one day in school, it was witnessed that Roland's desk just began to slide across the floor, and it smashed into some other desks when Roland had not been touching it. In his rages, Roland's voice was audibly different, not sounding like him whatsoever. So, his parents contacted Father Edward Hughes, who agreed to meet with the family. Father Hughes observed scratches and bruises on the boy's body, and that Roland's eyes looked, quote, as if there were nothing behind the eyes, unquote. and that the boy was staring intently at the different religious things that the priest had brought with him. Father Hughes placed his Bible on the table close to Roland, where he was sitting. Then the priest could feel the chair that he himself sat in begin to vibrate, and all four legs came up off the floor. The priest spoke in Latin and asked, Queses? And Roland replied back in Latin, Ego legion ibus. Who are you? I am legions. It was at this point that Father Hughes became very concerned. This boy had no knowledge of the Latin language. The priest had quite literally felt his chair lift off the floor. He saw the disgust in the boy's eyes at the sight of the religious texts and things that he had brought. And the fact that Roland had said legions means that there was more than one entity residing within this young teen. Now Father Hughes was not an experienced exorcist at this point and in fact this would actually be his very first. He thought it best that they admit Roland into a Jesuit hospital or Georgetown University Hospital where they could better monitor the boy's health and have the help of other Jesuit brothers there during the exorcism. In late 1949, Roland was brought into the hospital where he immediately began to act out being physically violent and screaming obscenities and hissing and spitting and kicking his legs around, thrashing about. The staff were forced to restrain him which is how he would remain throughout this exorcism. Father Hughes then began reciting the exorcism rites for three days straight, and for three days this did nothing but make the boy even more unruly and violent. It is reported Roland began foaming at the mouth and cursing Father Hughes. At one point, Roland said to Father Hughes, O oh, Saceri Dos Christi, Tushimi Esa Diabolum, Corda derogas. O oh, priest of Christ, you know that I am the devil. Why do you keep bothering me? Toward the end of the three days, Roland was somehow able to break free of one of his wrist restraints. He reached under the bed, he ripped out one of the springs of the mattress, which witnesses stated would have taken way more strength than that boy could have ever possibly had. The boy then reached out and slashed Father Hughes from his wrist to the inside of his elbow with that spring. At that point, the exorcism had to be stopped. Roland was sent home for a bit so that Father Hughes could rest and attend to his wound. So the boy's family took him home, and within a few days, some scratches appeared on the boy that spelled out the word Lewis. His mother thought that this was perhaps a sign that the family needed to move from Georgetown to St. Louis, Missouri to find the help their son needed. Not to mention, they did have family there. That's where Aunt Harriet was from. So, the family packed up and moved in with relatives in St. Louis. One of Roland's cousins was a student at St. Louis University, and she told Roland's family about two priests. The family spoke with Father Halloran and Reverend Bowdern, who, in turn, consulted with the university's president. And long story short, it was agreed that both men, along with a few other assistants, would be allowed to perform an exorcism on Roland as long as they kept a detailed diary of the facts during the purification process. So, in early March 1949... The priests and their assistants came to the home where the family was staying. Roland, by this point, was covered in scratches and cuts and bruises, his eyes sunken alarmingly from lack of sleep and stress. Just all around did not look good. When the men entered the room, they immediately saw Roland's bed moving violently. Holy water was sprinkled at the boy in the sign of the cross, and the bed stopped moving immediately. Then Roland screamed out in pain and grabbed at his stomach, and there they found new bloodied scratches on his skin that they believed he had not done to himself, because they'd all been watching him. Roland was again speaking in Latin, a language he did not know, and his voice was deep and guttural. He described a vile hatred of the Bible and any religious items. The priests were convinced that the boy was possessed and had him taken to the Alexian Brothers Hospital. Side note, that wing of the hospital was boarded up after this kid left and was demolished in 1978. So there's that. Now, other priests were brought on board as the boy was held in the psychiatric ward, which happened to be, you know, soundproof. No furniture or windows, and no doors that could be opened from the inside. Once the formal exorcism began... Roland started spitting in the priests' faces, shouting obscenities and offering sexual propositions to them. Roland even threatened to kill them and their families. Full-grown adults had a very difficult time restraining this smaller-than-average 13-year-old boy. But sometimes during the exorcisms, the boy seemed to be calm and very aware of himself and his surroundings, though the priests stated it was just the entity staring at them with, you know, thoughtful malevolence, and it was very unsettling. For six weeks, this went on, the boy's body still showing new bruising and scratches that would spell out various words. Still, the bed shook. Still, Roland shouted horrible things. So, after 30 failed attempts, these priests were exhausted. As a last resort, they decided to baptize Roland and force him to take Holy Communion. Their reasoning was that if they could convert him to Catholicism, rather than the Lutheran faith that he had been brought up in, he would be more, quote, open to the priests. But this idea, of course, was of no use. Roland was reportedly somehow able to throw several grown men across the room. He even broke Father Halloran's nose when they tried to get him to baptize him. They were, however, able to kind of force the communion wafer down his throat, even though he tried desperately to bite them. Several days the priests waited and prayed, and for those days Roland was still animalistic and evil. Then one day, out of the blue, Roland awoke saying, Satan, Satan. I am Saint Michael and I command you Satan and the other evil spirits to leave the body now." And so for those who might not know, Michael is an archangel. He was tasked with throwing Lucifer, aka Satan, down into hell, forever exiling him from heaven. And people believe that Michael has the most control over Satan. But whatever you may believe, Roland was suddenly calm, like poof, good to go. After that, he was able to go back to school, he attended mass regularly, and life went back to normal. He stated that he didn't really remember much of any of his ordeal, and though his identity has been a closely guarded secret. Reports state that he went on to lead a relatively normal life, got married, had kids, became a grandfather. After the exorcism and Roland was feeling better, the family moved back to their home in Maryland, but as of right now, it's just an empty lot. Some people wholeheartedly believe that this boy was possessed by demonic forces or Lucifer himself. Some think this was all just an elaborate scheme that the boy made up to get out of having to go to school or because he just really liked the attention. Others believe he was suffering from serious mental illness such as dissociative identity disorder, formerly known as multiple personality disorder. Or perhaps he had Tourette syndrome, schizophrenia, or the group as a whole suffered from group hysteria. So, some psychologists from Vanderbilt, St. Louis University, and the University of Missouri analyzed this case. They concluded that the normal psychological explanations could not account for the claimed events, for the claimed events. Dissociative Identity Disorder involves a disturbance of identity, where two or more distinctly separate personalities can manipulate the individual's behavior at different times. Roland did display some signs of DID, but since he was so suddenly cured, this would be nearly impossible. As with Tourette's syndrome, people showed tics, including saying or exclaiming inappropriate language, and indeed, Roland did shout profanities at people, but again, the symptoms were completely gone after the exorcism, which is scientifically unheard of. Schizophrenia does interfere with a person's ability to have clear and concise thoughts, being able to tell, you know, fantasy or hallucinations from reality, mood regulation, decision making, and so on. It does tend to show itself in the person's teens and is treated with antipsychotic medications. But Roland was never truly psychotic. He did not have a break from reality. In fact, he was aware of what was going on around him during the exorcisms, or at least he was awake and alert, though he doesn't remember it. And then again, I want to stress, schizophrenia is not something that just goes away. Whatever happened to Roland, no matter what we believe, There are several religions and spiritual beliefs that run the entire spectrum, that believe playing with Ouija boards is a bad idea, and I tend to agree. Thanks for listening.